We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to Good see you morning, all. Good morning, Scott. Now, have you spent all week just perusing the budget, budget and seeing time. what's there? Breaking That's it right. down? How yeah. difficult is that? I don't know. There was so much noise, I couldn't hear anything they said. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we listen carefully, we can still hear it. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be other stuff going on other than the budget. So you think? they fit a budget in, in between all the other headlines. Yeah. You know, it's it you know it's a budget just before an election. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what party's involved, they always want to throw a bunch of nuggets in to mm-hmm. hope that if we get elected, this is what we're gonna do. And certainly the idea of you know, one thing that wasn't even mentioned was kinda interesting is the idea the word deficit or balanced. Mm-hmm. wasn't even mentioned yeah, anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's all out of the vocabulary now. Yeah. <laughs> what about deficit? That doesn't matter. It's all about they ratios. They take care of themselves, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Ni- ni- 2019, it was supposed to be a balanced budget from their campaign promise. Yeah. And this year, we with and because we had such great growth, it got down to $14.9 billion Was And what it means by a deficit, it means that annual amount you're basically in the red. Yeah. That's just the annual. That doesn't mean you're 14.9 billion in debt. That's just the one year debt. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and so, yes, it's a, uh, it's interesting how it's changed over the years. And this is through some of the best times we've had in a lot, long time to kind of stimulate growth. But as far as, you know, the markets and everything else, the unemployment slow, usually you want to try to hold back things for when there is a, a recession. Yeah. And have some money in the bank for borrowing purposes so that you can stimulate the economy then. So anyway, they came out with um, a stimulus package way back trying to help out the middle class. And they, you know, some very good things in there. But what have they really done? And it's kind of interesting. Home affordability is one of the big issues that came up. And Mm -hmm. in back, in 2017, they came out of a way to give incentive to create rental units. Well, it sounds like a great idea. Because if you're going to add, get more people to buy houses, you need to increase the supply. Mm-hmm. Well, that incentive in 2017 only increased rental units by 500. Not 500,000, not mm. you know, 500 units. Okay. Wow. So it does take a while to get the ball rolling on this, but there has to be a pretty good incentive for a builder to create rental units, especially with rent controls. Yeah. And so, so far, their supply side hasn't changed much. So they are still trying and these are all these nuggets you if you will are going to start next year so home home availability affordability is a cmhc to help the first time home buyer by taking a 10 percent stake in new homes and five percent stake in existing homes mm-hmm. now this families that have over hundred twenty thousand dollar household income yeah. need not apply yeah anything over that they don't can't apply right and this is where it's interesting you know, here we are in Hamilton, and we know what the housing prices in Hamilton have, have soared to, right. and the GTA in general. And it was depressed for quite a while. Oh, long time, mm-hmm. long time. So right off the bat, they, there's a lot of rules that came into place on, you know, who gets this incentive, who gets this money. So they will go up to 10%, but only up to a quarter of the 120000 of income. Right. So basically, they would give you... $30,000. Right. Which, hey, I'll take $30,000 sure. any day of the week. That's sure. great. 0% interest. Yeah. You do have to pay it back and there's no, 
there, there's nothing on how that will be paid back right. yet. It's not similar. There's similar I think it's rules. when the house is sold. Well, it I has to I'd be heard. by then, but I'm not yeah. sure if there's options prior to that or I not. see, yes, yeah. yes. Unlike the uh, retirement savings plan where you can take out 25, which has now gone to 35, I guess. <laughs> Correct. And you have, what, 15 years to you pay ha- back. You yes. are required yeah. to make those yeah. repayments right away. And starting I'm sure, after one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they'll make you know the rule changes if they were to get reelected and these act, the budget actually was enacted, then they would get into more details of yeah. here's your options. Right. Because there's a couple other things that they haven't hit all the fine details, but some of them are very good. And the idea though of this getting this free money said, so, well, how much difference does that make? Let's say you could buy a five hundred thousand dollar home and based on your hundred twenty thousand dollars of income mm-hmm. and you qualified. So that would mean you probably had no other debt and you're just trying to get this house. Yeah. Right off the bat, you need to put 5% down. So you need to put $25,000 down as a first time home buyer. And then they would give you a maximum of $30,000. So I looked at two different mortgages, a $470,000 mortgage versus a $445,000 mortgage. Well, $470,000 mortgage was $2,377 a month. And a $445,000 thousand dollar mortgage was two $2,227 a month. Mm-hmm. The difference is $150 a month. Yeah. Hey, I take $150 any sure. day of the week, but I don't know if that's going to move the needle at all. Yeah. And this is what a lot has been written so far about this. And this at the end of the day with the qualifications, with the, you know, what you make, what the family household income can make. It, it's you're, complicated. You're, and you're really limited to a home that's under $500,000. Yes, right? absolutely. And so I'm looking at who, which areas would be probably be useful would be those areas in middle Canada or in the, yeah. you know, yeah. outside of the major cities, certainly outside the GTA where the yeah. houses would be a lot cheaper. Yeah. But again, then it would only still be the 10%. So if you could get a $300,000 a $300, home, brand new, mm-hmm. um, 10% would be $30,000 right, there. Right, right, right. Uh, so perhaps that's where the benefit would be, but that's not where the problem is. Right. The problem is, is in the major centers of GTA and Vancouver. And is there the supply of those homes and will this program drive the price of that segment up? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. Good yeah. question there. So that one there, I personally didn't see a, a, a huge benefit. I thought that would attract the most attention, but again, a lot of it just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. $150 a month yeah. at the end of the day. It's what it's going to save. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on that type of mortgage, on a three and a half percent five. So I can mortgage. get the second garage then on the house. <laughs> <laughs> And if it's coming to that fine of a, a line between getting a mortgage yeah. or not, hey, you know what? And sometimes it sure, does. That first sure. home buyer is a yeah. tough thing to do. Yeah. And I, I do like the idea that they're trying to help out. I just don't know how much benefit this will be. Mm-hmm. Well, it helps you get, it help, It may help you get into a home and that'll be an interesting s- statistic to see once it's implemented, how yeah. many people are actually able to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and where? But then, and, where mm-hmm. and where they are. And um, it's, as Don said, it's certainly not a GTA or a Vancouver solution no. to millennials trying to buy a house. What about Hamilton? Sure. Will it help Hamiltonians? Yeah, it's kind of... I think we're right, yeah, on the border. You there. know, you think about just a, even a condo today in Hamilton, a, a decent condo is probably 450 to yeah. a, a, as mm-hmm. a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and so. it really should be the GHA. Yeah. The greater Hamilton area. Yeah. Because it's getting pricier around here. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's not, you know, I know the center is Toronto and it's moved out, but yeah. you know, Tr- Hamilton's got its own vibe now and, it, yeah. and the prices have gone up dramatically as yeah. most people know around here. Yeah. And this, the, the, I mean, what this is doing is, yes, it's helping a certain segment of people get into a, the housing market 
And uh, but if, as he says, Don says, if you have 150 bucks left over, you still owe this money. Yeah. So yeah. you you're not you know you're it's not, not a en- lot of wiggle room. You're not enhancing your net worth, but what that 150 bucks that you're saving really needs to be uh, you know you need to commit that to yeah. some kind of other program, whether it's saving for retirement, whether it's saving to uh, pay that 30 grand off eventually, mm-hmm. because where's that money going to come from? You know, so I don't yeah. know if this actually puts people in a worse position later on uh, at some point when they have to pay this back and they're not prepared for it. And what's you know, the timeline there? What if you're in the house for 10 years? Yeah. I mean, does, the does, does, does the, does the price go up? Does it go up with inflation, with the price of the home? You know, who and knows? a new government will come in and yeah. repeal what they put in. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a very good question, right? Scott. And there's not enough details there. Even if in a perfect world, you only, it never went up. Yeah. It was say $330,000 and you paid it when you finally sold the house. Yeah. Okay. It's still not a bad deal. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll take the $150 per month anytime. But you got to remember when you're bailing out and trying to upsize that yes. you got $30,000 less than you exactly. bought had. Exactly. Yeah. They pay me now, pay me later. Yeah, you're absolutely exactly. right. That's what I'm saying. I'm really questioning the, the long-term benefit of it. Yeah. It's a little bit of a shoehorn to try to squeeze you in, yeah, okay? It, yeah. it does get you in a little bit and might help. It might be the enough just to get you in. And just different enough that people aren't really sure whether it will work or not. Right. And it, it, you know, so the, the first initial sell is great. And then, you know, well, I don't know if it's going to work or help me or not. Yeah. Well, when you actually put the pen to paper and the numbers together that we've done here, and it said, wow, it sounded really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, it wasn't as good as I personally thought it would be. Yeah. Now, the other side of it, is they increase the home buyer's plan from 25,000, as you mentioned, Scott, yeah. to 35,000 in order, and that's per person. So in yeah. a couple, that raises it from 50,000 to 70,000. You can pull out of your RSPs to buy a house as a first time home buyer. Now, first of all, a first time home buyer, what is that? It is somebody that has not owned a home in the current year or the previous four years. Right. So, had you owned a house six years ago, you are now a first time home buyer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so that's that's so if you sell your house and live on the street for a while, you can refresh it. Yeah, you can. You're back. You're hit the reset. (laughs) Hit the reset button, and you're back in as a first-time home buyer again. Now, even more of a reset button, and this is the one I really like. Okay, and this one, regardless of which government comes in or stays in, the marriage breakup automatically becomes a first-time home buyer. This was interesting. Yeah. Okay, after ninety days of separation of living apart. And I think that is a very fair way yeah. because- Too bad uh, more stuff didn't work that way. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but this one here- Speaking of divorce, days, of course. Of course, know. I know yeah, what you're saying, yeah. Scott. But uh, <laughs> no, 90 days, I thought this was very good because quite often after a separation, they are somewhat limited what they can afford. You're starting from square one, yeah. Yeah, and yet they're not a first-time home buyer. They don't get any of those incentives, mm-hmm. but they don't have enough money because they just split all their assets. Yeah. So it makes it very difficult for a newly separated or divorced- couple to get houses. Yeah. And uh, so I thought this was very, very smart to add that. And I mm. hope they keep this regardless because yeah. as far as I, you know, I've come across a lot of clients that have, have been divorced or separated and that's always a topic of conversation. Yeah. How can we afford the next house? Yeah. And we can take money out of the RSPs. No, you can't because you're not a home, a first time home buyer. Right, right. And quite often, uh, there's a, a lot of money socked away in the RSPs, but it's, you can't get at can't it. Can't touch it, yeah. Because you're going to be taxed at a, at a high rate. So this this one makes sense. And, you know, I, I know it's a bit of a, I'm in a quandary at the best of times using RSP assets for that first house. I find it as a last resort. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Great if, if that's the only way you can do it. 
But let's say uh, your house is at a mortgage at 3.5%. You're now pulling your money out of your retirement plan to buy a house. Mm -hmm. Would a teacher be able to do that? You know, I'm going to take $35,000 out of my superannuation to buy my first house. That would not be allowed. And so what happens, it's giving incentive to harm their retirement. Hmm. And this is the nice thing about defined benefit plans. They can't ever touch that Hands money. Hands off. Yeah. <laughs> Hands off. You yeah. can't get to it. And with RSPs, it's like, okay, well, we're getting, we're going to give you even more money that you can get your hands on. And I know this is a topic we always run into is so, so few people have enough money, except for the defined benefit plan holders, that they feel confident in the retirement. Mm -hmm. And I know we were just talking about the Ipsos Reed poll. Yeah, this is a fascinating piece that um, was done by an Ipsos survey back in November 2018. And they were trying to understand how confident people felt about their retirement. And in a survey of 2,400 people, only 16% mm. described themselves as feeling confident or very confident about retirement. So 84% of us are not feeling very confident about retirement. Were those people government employees? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Uh, they'll return your call. Or check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about the budget, breaking it down. One of the, uh, one of the other highlights was uh, Canada Pension Plan. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to me the number of people that turned 70 uh, are still working and uh, or not working and did not apply for Canada Pension Plan. Hmm. So they've actually completely missed the deadline and now they're into um, into a period where they're continuing to work or past 70 and they're not getting Canada Pension Plan. And so the government has agreed or looked at this and said, you know what, we're going to proactively enroll everybody now going forward once you're 70. Mm. And you will be entitled to the enhancement, the enhanced payout, so up to 42% more of what you would have received at 65. So that part is still in the in the books and um but the but it's just fascinating that there's people that have literally forgotten or neglected to sign mm. up for Canada Pension Plan, and it's in the it's in the tune of of tens of thousands of people. Wow, that now, have forgotten to do this. Do they get retro pay because they missed it? Yes, they do. Okay, yes. because you know what, this is a very good point. So it's it's kind of like those Canada Savings Bonds that just went past maturity and nobody collect them. They're not right. getting interest anymore. Right. And uh, the government's actually trying to do something about that too. But with this Canada Pension Plan, here's somebody that missed the 65 because you do have to apply for this. Mm -hmm. So there could be um, a language issue. Mm -hmm. They may not know about this. Who knows? I'm not quite sure what the reasons are. You hit 70 and you're, you're getting a 42% increase on whatever you're going to be getting at 65. Yeah, because you waited. And who knows the reasons? Could have been a medical reason you didn't apply. Yeah. No family was able to look at your finances. And... I thought this was a no-brainer. This does not cost the government one penny. Yeah. This is the way it should have always been done. That mm -hmm. I, I actually I was shocked to know that people miss 70 and they just didn't automatically get paid. Yeah. I thought they did. Yeah, yeah. They should, it makes mm. sense. Speaking of medical, the, uh, the medical expense tax credit is expanding to include uh, additional cannabis products. 
Ah, really? So, yeah, in starting uh, the budget in 2019 to expand the range of cannabis products eligible for the medical expense tax credit and the applicable expenses incurred on or after October 17th, mm. 2018, when it became legal, will be eligible as a medical expense for your tax, for income tax I guess purposes. why wouldn't it be if it's legal now? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. They'd have there to. There you go. Yeah. And uh, one of the more interesting products, and we talked about this about a year ago on this show, was, and they've just, uh, hopefully we'll be adding this in 2020, called an Advanced Life Deferred Annuity. Now, what this means is right now, if you're RSP, um, the latest you can move that to a RIF or an annuity is age, the year you turn 71. Mm -hmm. And starting age 72, you have to take an income from that RSP. So that's just the way it is, and it has been that way forever as far as RSPs are concerned. However, when they started this program, people weren't living to 100 all the time. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people living past 85 and 90 and 95. And it's almost like, oh, there's another one that made 100. In fact, it's the fastest growing age in Canada right now. So in the States, they came up with a product that you could take your, at the, in the States, called a 401k. Same thing as an RSP. And they can move that into this deferred annuity with a late start date. So what you do, it's say, let's say you take $100,000 and you start getting a payment at 85. So basically what it does, it protects you against longevity risk. Now, because people, a lot of people may have died before age 85, the, you, you put in $100,000, you get quite a good payout when you hit 85. Mm -hmm. Because the ones that are passing away before 85 are helping to increase the payouts right. for the ones that live past 85. Right. Now, in the States, it is a pure life insurance product. What they're thinking about here in Canada is you can take your money f up to 25% of your RSP can be moved into this advanced life deferred annuity. So if you had 600,000, you can move 150,000 into this life, ALDA, if you will, okay? And that, would, and that would sit there and then you can have a payout anytime up to age 85. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pick 85. The longer you wait it, wait it out, the higher the payout will be, Right. okay? <clears throat> but there's also a greater chance that you may not be around to collect. And what they've done in there, if you don't, receive it, if you die before the time it starts, you can get a maximum of what you put in. Mm. So if you put in 150, you will not get more than 150 back. Right. You may get less. So what happens with all that interest it made? That will help with the people that live past that age. Right, right. Okay, very similar to the states in that part, but at least you know you're getting at least your money back. Mm -hmm. Now, this could be a great tax strategy. It's a great way to defer, um, to defer the income for sure. So you know, I don't need the income now. I'll just keep kicking the can down there. Um, I, you know, as people waited until 65, I'll wait till 70, and now 80, now 85. Uh, there are some limits. You can only have up to 25% of your value of your RSP is one limit, but the other is the maximum amount you can buy is $150,000. That would be per person, per mm -hmm. spouse. So that is indexed. So right now it'd be 150,000 and that would go up in increments of $10,000. Kind of like the tax-free savings account. Right. They start at 5000 and they keep moving that one along in increments of $500. Mm -hmm. That's how we're at 6000 right now. So I think this is a great idea. It would be definitely part of a plan. If you've got family that you say, well, my, my father lived to 90 and my, oh, my both my grandparents lived to 94. So I'm thinking, okay, well, hopefully we got some of those genes. Mm -hmm. But actually what they've found is only 70% 
of your longevity is based on your genetics. Yeah. Okay. 30%, sorry, 30% is based on genetics. 70% is on your lifestyle. Right. The other way around. Right. So what that means is you could, the way things are working, so many people are living well into their 80s that this product is well overdue. And I think it's a great step, regardless, again, which, which government ends up mm-hmm. coming in. They should come back and look at this. And I know this has been looked at for quite some time. And they, they've just pulled the trigger on this. Again, not a cost costly thing for the government to do. What they're doing, they're not taking as much money now, but they will get paid. Yeah. And the money may be more because it keeps growing. Yeah. So that's one. And the other one, they, they're go- they just announced a variable payment life annuity. And this is kind of like your defined contribution plan. So your work plan that you currently have with whichever company you're dealing with, once you retire, the work plan can start giving you an income right at that time. Mm-hmm. You do not have to transfer it to another institution. You do not have to transfer it to a RIF. You can, the work plan will give you an income, but it is based on the market. Okay, it is based on the ups and downs of that investment that you have in. I'm not quite sure what the benefit of keeping it there rather than moving it with your other funds, right. with your adv- financial advisor. It didn't seem evident to me. But uh, maybe it's just out of ease. Right. So the, the employer says, Can, isn't the company just supposed to look after me? Kind of like the deferred benefit right. plans. Maybe that's what they're trying to do is, okay, you're, you're going to continue, but it will be variable. Right. So I know they also added a couple other things, uh, the electric cars. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. I, I know Andy's a big proponent of the electric well, cars. Well, <laughs> I know for business owners now, if you, uh, if you purchase of a zero emission vehicle, you're able to do a 100% write-off of the capital cost allowance. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you bought a $50,000 vehicle, you'd be able to depreciate it $50,000 yeah. right away in year oh, that's one. A, that's yeah. a good one. Up to, up to $55,000 plus sales tax per vehicle. And uh, so- What the, if you're self-employed and using your vehicle? That would, would that work? Uh, no, this has to be a business. Yeah. So if you're, um, ah, yes. you know what? What if you're an electrician, you buy a truck? <laughs> yep, 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 exactly. A zero admission truck, yeah. you'd be able to appreciate the whole thing in one year exactly. as opposed to the grid of 30% yeah. per year. That being said, is there an electric van? <laughs> no. uh, there is, there, absolutely. Them, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a zero admission. Like a lot of them are yeah, hybrid, hybrid, right? Yeah. Where they, they still have uh, a backup engine right. <clears throat> that would have some emissions. And this emissions. is zero though, Zero right? emissions. Yeah, yeah. Zero emissions. So, so a fully electric pure, car. Pure electric, right. yeah. Um, there is some measures for uh, support for Canadian journalism. Yeah, and yeah, so this is interesting where journalism organizations, they have to meet certain criteria that are going to be established by an independent panel. They can qualify as a, what we would call a qualified Canadian, uh, a qualified Canadian, uh, journalism organization. And, um, and what that does is it sort of makes them eligible to be a charitable organization. Mm. And as a result, if you... Um, what does if, that say about our industry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come charitable on, organization. Uh, so you could get a... Uh, you can get a... Uh, you can receive donations as a qualifying organization. And uh, that donation would, give, would be eligible for a tax uh, receipt. You can also get a be 15, like PBS. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. You can also get a fifteen um, percent uh, tax credit for your subscriptions 
to mm-hmm. one of these qualified journalism organizations. So if you have a digital news subscription to a maximum of 500 bucks a year, you can claim a tax credit of 15% of that. So it's about $75 of savings for mm-hmm. your subscription to a Canadian uh, qualified Canadian journalism organization. Mm-hmm. So they, a, re- they replace QCIO. Oh, is that okay. They replaced that sports credit with this one, it sounds Maybe, like. Maybe, I guess. We, we have to sit and read now. Ah, <laughs> no activity. No activity. Stop, right. stop with the 500 sports credit for yeah. your kids playing soccer, gymnastics, or dance, or what have you. Now you get this journalist credit. That's it. Oh, okay. I thought they were trying to make this easier. I don't know. Yeah, they're coming back with some interesting ones. <laughs> now, they talk about credits, and this one I do like. I, I, anytime they, they try to help people in terms of helping for a new job training, because there's a lot of automation of jobs at this stage mm-hmm. and and people are kind of being ousted because of Automation. you know computers yep. etc and you know human nature i think is to keep doing what they're doing it's a habit and they get used to it and this is great that it, you can get retrained yeah. and the government's chipping in yeah. when i say chipping in it's not a ton it's 250 dollars per year that they will help towards retraining i don't know how much that will get you in retraining it does go Gets to a place in the parking lot. Yeah, it goes to a maximum of $5,000 is what you can have a lifetime. But that is a lot of years. Yeah. That's 20 years of training. Mm-hmm. So I think, I like the idea that they're, as I said, chipping in towards helping. And something that's much more needed now than say in the past. No question. Yeah. I personally think it could have been $500 yeah. and still use the 5,000 maximum. Sure. But you know- who, how many people are going to get trained for 20 years is, is less likely yeah. than maybe a 10-year or even a five-year stint yeah. to try to really change the, work, the, the workforce. Yeah. So lots of uh, interesting changes. In the- and I know the other one, uh, there was a, for personal, uh, the electric car version. If you buy an electric vehicle uh, that is $45,000 or less, there will be a federal credit of five grand right okay. yeah mm-hmm. as well so there is that that measure for uh, for the personal side as well as the business side and so you know. with this uh the projected deficit would be just over 19 billion next year hmm. so there's we've no been talking about all the goodies we haven't talked about the financial impact of now this. let me address that because um the government will say we're making lots of money so you know we can go a little deeper into debt that being said we've heard lots that slowly the economy is 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 slowing down mm-hmm. so uh can we afford this in the sense that are we heading into a downturn are we heading into a, you know a time of i don't want to say recession but certainly right. of low growth this is where it gets tricky for me as financial planners mm-hmm. we never suggest people continually being in debt yeah as you know as as a couple or as a family, you want to get them out of debt, start being, so you're not spending so much in interest. I understand it, it makes sense as a country to have to stimulate the economy and debt is one way to do it. But uh, to be in continual debt year after year after year after year without a, uh, a balanced budget yeah. in sight, that does scare me a little bit. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, this is the continue. I think that was the key thing that sort of concerned me is what, what is the game plan to actually unwind all the spending? Yeah. Like, is there is there a and game it will plan? Get, will it get easier in the future or <laughs> yeah, more difficult? Exactly. Yeah. You know, when you have all this interest costs, I yeah. right now interest rates have been fairly low, but every time they uptick the interest rates by a quarter percent, that also is hurting the government's chances to have a balanced budget yeah. because they have such yeah. a large debt at this stage. Yeah. So well, yeah. you think about a recession, uh, and a recession is a, a, during a slow, slow time in the business cycle, and uh, obviously 
more recently, they've had a greater amount of income tax generated or paid in mm-hmm. terms of their coffers or cash flow. Uh, during a recession, it's going to be lower. Yeah. And so that's going to obviously defer any reduction in the deficits or defer any um, you know additional payments and extend out further. How long yeah. is this going to continue on? And um, actually, the recession thing is, a, is an interesting topic because when I think back to just recent this week in, in meeting with clients about uh, reviewing their, their financial plan and their investment portfolio, the question that still comes up and people are, are a little anxious about what is it, you know, with all the things going on in the world, and this, this is not a new story yeah. uh, or a new a comment that I've heard before, but it's with all the things going on in the world, doesn't it just seem like we should, um, you know, put everything on the sideline or, or be more conservative yeah. and do something to, to, because it seems like it's going to be volatile or it's going to be bad, yeah. right? And the balloon's going to pop. <clears throat> the balloon's going to pop. And, uh, and I, when I come back to that discussion, it's, uh, obviously part of someone's financial plan is having to understand how much volatility they do have in their portfolio. So, you know, it it could go up, you know, 20%, but it might go down as much as 10%, depending on the type of portfolio you have. And how often does a recession happen? And recessions and downturns in the market are temporary. They are always, always replaced by a return to profitability and growth in the market. Right. If they don't, then it won't matter where our money is because <laughs> we're all we're, we're all done. in trouble. Yeah. Exactly. And, and my personal favorite of the whole budget is that they are tr- going to get the average download speed up on on my internet. Oh. And they say the the their aim is to have ninety five percent of Canadians homes and businesses with access of minimum download speeds of 50 megabits per second and upload speeds of 10 megabits per second by 2026. Where do you live? Tuck the tuck I get three and a half right now. So <laughs> for me, this is a big deal. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is fantastic. So you guys- You're living the, in a tree house? Jeez. I do not have fiber optics. So I'm saying, wow. You, got, I, you should move into the GHA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then by- you that nice tree fort out there. <laughs> <laughs> and by 2030, it'll be 100% coverage at those speeds across Canada. That's a big by deal. For I'm just 2030. You know those, you know those giant dishes you used to have to yes. have that would be out on your back lawn to, to pick up a signal. <laughs> oh look, that's Don. Don's. <laughs> that must be where Don lives. Uh. All right, uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button and listen to old shows, uh, old archive shows from the past. All right, we're talking about market volatility. Market volatility. As I was mentioning in that last segment and just talking with clients this year about... um, volatility and their and their concern about all of the issues you know trade wars with china um just the whole trump effect uh you know our government overspending and running deficits like it just you stacking it all up and it becomes this uh is it a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy are we going to have a recession you know and how do we should we be moving our money to take advantage of that somehow Mm -hmm. time the market in in advance of it going down and 
that the truth is, of course, is that nobody can time the market and we don't know when markets will go down. We do know there, that there are, I'm not going to call them patterns, but there are historical, there's historical information, I think, that gives us insight. And, and the fascinating part about this to me is that it, it, if you look back historically over any stock market growth chart in, in either U.S. or in Canada or any of the, the major um, uh, you know, G7 nations, mm-hmm. the, the stock market has always been a line going up. There's all kinds of ups and downs in little segments, mm-hmm. but the trend has always been up. So I, I hate to say it's guaranteed to go up, but in essence, that's what's happened over the decades. Yeah. It just continues to go up. So any time of any any type of short-term decline is just simply temporary, and it will be replaced again by another market rally or right. increase. Mm-hmm. And so, if you, you could literally guarantee yourself. A wonderful return if you had the fortitude to buy in whenever there is that sort of reset button, yeah. a recession, a downturn, etc. And but our psyche is so wired against doing this that it's it's very few of us have the capacity or the the skill set to be able to follow through and do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at a chart here, and if you can imagine as a listener, it's very difficult, but if you thought about uh, Lego blocks mm-hmm. in a bar chart, and I stacked one Lego block on top of another one, and each stack represents the rate of return uh, in a different range. Right. So it might be minus 30% to minus 20, minus 10 to, to zero. And so each of these, uh, Lego stacks, block stacks start, start to form what we think about like a bell curve. Right. And when I looked at then how many times we did the stock was the Toronto stock market negative. So these would be all those Lego blocks on the left of zero. Right. And how many times, uh, how many years each year was the rate of return positive? So those would be all the Lego block stacks on the right. And looking back since 1940 to 1948 to 2018, the end of the year, we had 49 positive years. So six to almost 70% of the time. And we had 22 negative years, 30% of the time. So let's contract that down to a 10 year period. Basically you would end up with out of 10 years, you're going to end up with seven years, 70% of the time are going to be positive and 30% are going to be negative. Mm -hmm. So three years out of 10 negative, seven years out of 10 positive. We don't know what the order is going to be, but on average, that's what's happened. Right. And further along, when you th- when you start to drill down and look at each of the individual years, and the ones that are the big outliers, like really, uh, we had a real negative year, or we had a really good positive year, how often do those come? And so, if you go look at my uh, bell curve here, the, the the worst return in the last uh, in the last seventy two years was in two thousand and eight, right. the financial crisis, right. and the market was down. Uh, the Canadian stock market was down between 30 and 40% uh, mm. negative. On the other end of the scale, the best returns, the best positive returns uh, between uh, 30 to 40% increase have happened five times yeah. over the last 70 years. But if I looked at those positive years, the, the first one was in 1950, right? The next one, um, this, so that means it went up over 30%. Or more in 1950. in 1950. The next one was 11 years later in 1961. The next one was 18 years later in 1979. And then there was one just four years later, 1983, 
when things went up over 30%. And then we had to wait another, we had to wait 26 years to 2009. What's significant about 2009? It's the year after, after the, recession, yeah. the worst year in the last 70 years, yeah. where it was minus 30% in 2008. And so those outliers where we see these really dramatic increases or really dramatic decreases tend to have long time periods in between. Yeah. And so when they, here's the, here's the, your, the listener's uh, tip, when they happen, you better you take advantage of in, it. Yeah. You've got to cash in because yeah. it's not going to happen for a long time. Yeah. And let me just reference then what happened on the negative side. The, the worst uh, time that there was minus 30, 20 to 30% back in 1957. And then 17 years later in 1974, there was a big negative year. And then we had to wait 34 years to 2008 before we had the next big, big, big negative mm. year. Mm. So the negatives are even further apart. Yeah. So when those negative years happen, boy, if you can jump on board, mm -hmm. because it's probably not going to happen for another yeah, long time. Yeah. Only once in the last 70 years did it happen two years in a row, and that was 2001 and 2002, when the market went down marginally, just in the 10% range, mm -hmm. uh, two years in a row. Hmm. And uh, But generally, that that's the only time in 70 years that it's happened. So the worst case scenario is you jump in the, the year it happens, and then it went down the next year, that right. one time. Yeah. So. Again, it's just the benefit of understanding this is is to is to really help people take advantage of those times when the market has gone up a lot, mm -hmm. or and that means rebalancing and taking profit, right? Because it's not going to be a, it's not going to keep going. Right. They don't happen that often, or when there's a really negative year. That's another great time to be buying and reallocating your investments so that you can take advantage of that. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll return your call, 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Cost per unit of fun. Yes. So you can fun. buy fun by the unit. F-U-N. Now, we are talking about mutual funds. as in, And Andy was just talking about times to buy and sell. And look at the opportunities when the markets were down. You could actually buy a lot more units of mutual funds mm -hmm. with the same amount of dollars. Yeah. But what we find is people have a hard time saving money. And, and, and there's so many things to try to distract you. Say, buy this Apple, buy this new cell phone, buy this type of thing. And there's constantly Netflix with subscriptions. What about Spotify? There's so many different wares. What, let's go eat dinner out tonight, honey. Mm -hmm. Let's do this, let's do that. What about Disney? Where should we vacation? There's so many different things to go. And it was interesting. One, one financial planner came up with this is, why don't we work out the differences to make a decision. You can afford this or that. Which do you want to spend the money on? Mm. So what they did, they took the numerator and, uh, and said, okay, this is the amount of money this cost. And you divide that by fun. Now, fun is on a rating scale that you gave it between <laughs> one and 10. Mm. Okay. okay. And so that- going out to dinner might be a seven. It could be. And this is the example we're going to be going through. Taking it's like, out the garbage could be a one. No, but you have to compare the same type oh, of things. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So I, don't think, I don't think that makes the fun that list. Doesn't, yeah. yeah. Garbage <laughs> isn't fun. That's, so, so let's say, for example, you do out for dinner and the average cost of dining out is $100. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it, 
it can have a great event. Sometimes it's not so great. The service can be good. It can be bad. On average, let's say it's a six out of 10 on the fun scale. Now, dining in, it's, you know, as time goes on, I've actually started to enjoy dining in more. Yeah. Okay, I, li- I don't. I like getting what I'm, I'm cooking or my wife's cooking and we work together on something and we have a great meal and it's kind of relaxing. Actually, I'm finding that's more like a nine, as long as all the ingredients are there, mm. as long as that we're prepared. That could be a sign of age. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> that could be the, maybe it was the, you're absolutely right. So dining in is $100 divided by six out of 10. Mm. That means the average, the cost of unit per fund was 16.66 versus eating in was... $80 divided by a 9 out of 10, the average, average, the cost per unit of fund was 8.8 to 8. There you go. So we got the same amount of dollars. Where he he didn't I? factor in that it, it, he could have gone out for dinner by the time he downloaded the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> or and, ordered in. So this is, this is not, hey, all those people just got their Excel spreadsheets and putting all this together. This is not that necessary. It's just trying to give a quick little visual and say, where should we spend our money? Priorities. So let's say a car. I'm going to buy a new car versus a used car. Well, a lot of it is emotional. Mm. Cars are very emotional. Mm-hmm. So let's say the cost of a new car is 40000 And let's say it's a 6 out of 10 on the fund scale. And versus the cost of a used car, same car, two years later, yeah. was 25000 mm. And it's not as much fun, but let's say it's a 5 out of 10 on a used car. Because after a while, a new car becomes used anyway. Yep. So... Your, your cost of fun per unit was 6666 on the new car versus 5000 on the used car. Yeah. Again, there's the deciding factor. I'm going to go get the used car. It's worth it, the extra fun. Now, on the other hand, if you are a car fanatic yeah. and you love cars <clears throat> and you buy a new car and it's a 10, it's yeah. a 10 from the time you buy it to the time you sell it because you know every kilometer on that you car. You, you baby it. And, and you know what? Good for you. Well, if that now is a $40,000 vehicle and now you divide it by a 10 out of 10, well, that's a, the cost per fund is now 4,000 rather than the used car is 5,000. It's actually cheaper for the fund on the new car because you like it so much. Right. It's worth it. So it's all about prioritizing mm-hmm. where you're going to enjoy. And I know it's kind of interesting. I had a listener and she called us, uh, she emailed us shortly after the show and I had maximize your fund. It was kind of the title of right. that particular show, and what it w- and she she her- misunderstood me. She thought I said maximize the funds. Right. Okay. Right. And and you know what? The more I thought of that, I said, "What a great little error in how it was interpreted." Mm. Because if you maximize your funds, there's a good chance you could actually end up maximizing your fun. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, it's related. It is. Absolutely. And so it all comes down to priorities in, in budgeting and looking on what should you do. And I know what Andy was looking at. What if you were just to add money monthly? Mm. There's a cost yeah. of, of not doing that, which isn't fun, by not having money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the this came back to just the issue around volatility too. And as we were describing, the, the, the process that we call our, the concept buy low, sell high yeah. is really where this is driven from. Sure. And it's called, the official name is dollar cost averaging. Mm-hmm. Very simple concept, uh, but so powerful yeah. because it forces us without even thinking about it to buy more units of an investment 
when their price is down, yeah. buy more low, and buy fewer units of an investment when the price is high, yeah. right? <clears throat> and so the system of dollar cost averaging is really, there's, there's two elements to it. You have to commit a set amount of dollars and you have to cons- uh, commit to a set amount of time right. or a period. Yep. So is it going to be periodically every week? Is it going to be $50 a week? Is it going to be 500 a month? Is it going to be a thousand? Whatever the amounts are and every, and then consistently on a right. regular basis making that investment. And um, so when I was looking at you know an example of how you would do that, so if you just took $100 a month and over the period of six months, you've put in $600. And with dollar cost averaging, um, the, the the value of the mutual fund, and let's say <clears throat> let's say over the time, if you just put the money in at the beginning, yeah, six hundred dollars, one time, one time shot, <clears throat> uh, and a year and six months later, it was worth exactly the same. It hadn't gone up. If you had taken the same investment and put in a hundred dollars a month for six months, mm-hmm. you actually end up with about six hundred and seventy-two dollars. So mm-hmm. almost a ten percent increase. Looking at a normal volatility of an investment. Right. So even in that short time period, uh, that's exactly what dollar cost averaging does. It improves your rate of return by buying more low and not buying it when it's high. Want to find out more? Talk to Andy Lister and Don Fox. We have been planning your financial future. Uh, They are from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. See you next week.